It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast, the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor. With my man, Rick Brewer, we touch on local sports topics, national sports topics, ghost sex book reviews, and much, much more on this podcast. And of course, our weekly, and now I guess the conclusion to Game of Thrones. Rick, your thoughts on the finale? I mean... I, right, that was. I agree with you on that, Rick, yes, all of that. Yes. All right, as always, this is presented by Joseph Infinity of Cincinnati. Rick, lead us off. Skinny the Reds beat the Brewers 3-0 Tuesday night to move the record to 22-26 and on the year. Sonny Gray's strong six innings of work led to Cincinnati's major league leading seventh shutout of the season. The Reds didn't win their 22nd game until June 7th last season. So despite Cincinnati being in last place of the National League Central and seven games back of the Cardinals, should the Reds be commended for some noticeable improvements made this season? Absolutely. I, I've said it from the get-go. I, th- I think this team is better. I think this is an above 500 team. Because the, the changes they made were mostly to the pitching staff, right? The, and they, they needed to do that. They needed basically at least three starting pitchers, and you needed somebody to step forward. Um, Luis Castillo is the guy that stepped forward. Obviously, Sonny Gray's given him stability. Tanner Roark's given him stability. The bullpen's been been really, really good. The thing that's been disappointing is guys that you thought were going to contribute have not. Scooter Jeanette got hurt in spring training, is yet to play. Joey Votto looks like a complete old man at the plate. He looks lost right now, completely lost at the plate. Yasiel Puig's only hitting a little over 200. I mean, Jose Peraza took a step backwards. All those places you thought, okay, we're good going into this year with those guys. Hasn't happened. I still think it, it, it happens. And if you can, the thing is, if you continue to get this pitching, and I think a third of the way in, I'm not here to tell you, I don't think they, they don't continue to get this pitch. I think they do. It, I think you're going to be in a lot, of, a lot of games and turn some of these around. I think there's a lot of reason to believe the pitching should get better. I mean, you still got Wood to Correct. add to the mix at Correct. some point, theoretically. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think it's funny. When you start actually looking at what this team has done since last year, they do look like a better team. And the pitching, which is what you really needed to improve, what you were really trying to improve this offseason, is one of the better staffs in the National League Central right now, which is the best division in the National League. So it, it really is unfortunate for this team that they are in the Central because, you know, if they were in the Mets position right now, they'd be talking about potentially competing with the record they have. Yeah, and if you look to it, you know, is this a team? Is this a one and eight team, which is what it started, or is it the twenty one and eighteen, eighteen team since? I think I'm going to take the forty game sample size over the nine game sample size, right? I think you're right. The problem is you've dug yourself such a hole. You dug yourself the hole, but you're it's it's not just the hole from this year. It's the hole. It's the it's the fan apathy no from years past that you can't start this year the way you did after what you've done the last four years. And expect anyone to care what you're doing or to get any benefit of the doubt from the fan base. So I don't think the fan reaction is out of whack or out of line with what it should be. At the same time, when you actually sit down, you look at last year's team, what they accomplished, where this year's team is at, you should feel good about some of the strides that have been made, I think. That being said, it just doesn't mean much considering you're in the National League Central. You're still not really in a spot to compete. The only thing I wonder is, should it change how they approach the trade deadline, only from the standpoint of, okay, let's say you do start getting things moving in the right direction. It's not like you have a ton of guys that are going to be huge trade pieces anyway. 
But you got some. Do you just hang on to those guys and try to get some momentum going to next year just to bring some of your fan base back, just to bring some excitement? Yeah, I, I, they've got some really tough decisions. And, you know, obviously Puig's not signed past this year and, and at the trade deadline. I mean, what, what classifies are you in it or not? Is it three games out of the wild card? Is it? Well, I don't even know if you worry about being in it or not. I'm just wondering, well, even if I, you're I, still 10 games out of a first place, then do you, you just keep, yeah, you just no, keep the you guys look, you've no, got? No, you look ahead. You, you start making whatever moves you have to, to look ahead for sure. I mean, I, because, was, I just wonder the, how many fans, moves... The fan base has already turned turned a deaf ear to you. Until you start to win and win big enough to where you feel like you are in it and your team is in it, you're just not getting that fan base back. So you might as well at that point, I'm not even worried about the fan base. I'm worried about what, what the future of this club would be next year. I think that's probably right. But the only thing is, I don't know that you really have much to trade away anyway. I mean, if we're talking about a guy like Roark, you're not but, but see, spreading I, him out for half a year. You're not going to get much back. Do you maybe just hang on to a guy like that who's pitching well to try to win no, a few games at the end? No, of the year? I, I don't. I don't. I, I start. To, I I like the formula of kind of getting some one year run of players. I don't mind that. And then kind of I, building some pieces around it when your farm system is finally ready, then you maybe can stop doing the one year run of players. But I, I like it. I, I think you took a swing with it. If you just started off eight and one and, and and all of a sudden things had gone right then you know you bring your fan base back and, and you are playing for something it didn't happen all right let's try it again i because you took some little steps forward and i think you can continue to do that i i like the i like the formula of what they did in the offseason i like it a lot i agree i don't have any issue with what they did because it's basically what we were saying they should be doing right. which is try to get better right now try to play for now as much as you can without mortgaging any of your future. Correct, and I thought they did a pretty good job of yeah, that, right? Yeah, they didn't give away any I of mean, the main pieces. I, I, I was in the mix of, of trade Jonathan India for J.P. Real Muto, and, and maybe that would have been a move. I was one that said, don't trade Nick Senzel. He's too big of a piece. Don't, ta- don't trade Taylor Trammell. Well, now you're seeing Nick Senzel. I think he's going to be a bona fide player at the major league level, and I, I think they did a good job of identifying what pieces to hang on to and did that. So I, I, I liked it. I, it's hard to say that when you see the record of 22 and 26 as we do this podcast, but I I'm going to go with that 40-game sample size and say that's the team that, that's going to finish this year that's going to be around the 500 with a winning record. I really believe that that's where they'll get to when all is said and done because I think they will eventually hit. It also makes me wonder if the fan base might not be in a little bit uh, over the top in their criticism of David Bell. I don't know. I, there's some things he's done that's a little wacky, but I think anytime you see a manager do stuff outside the box, you're, you're really uncomfortable with it. Well, especially when your team's losing. Yes, I mean, correct. And, and some of the moves he's made have not caused them to lose. I mean, some of it is performance-based, and there's been some moves I'm like, yeah, it's a little little off the wall. I mean, people get all all crazy about him changing lineups around. I think you have to, with all the information at your fingertips today, if you look and, and decide, all right, this is the, analytically, this is the matchup. And that night, the matchup, the guy might go 0 for 4, but it doesn't mean it was the wrong move to make. It just means the guy didn't perform the way the analysis showed he should have performed. Well, and I've heard more complaints about the pitching staff and the use of the bullpen than anything else. And when you look at what this pitching staff has actually it's done, done really well, it, it, I think he deserves a lot of credit for for how it's performed. Agreed. So uh, it'll be interesting to watch how that conti- the storyline and how fans look at this team, the front office, and David Bell as the season continues based on win loss record. Yeah, our storyline for next week might be one Daniel Josevato and his future. Well, yeah, we've talked about it a lot, but it might be time to just have the the, the flat-out conversation. Correct. Correct. Is it over? I'm going to give him one more week of at-bats. Okay. So the average can the, go down the, under, under 200. The last 800 wasn't enough. Yeah, that's, that's a good. The last 500, basically. <laughs> well, I, I just read on um, what it, the redreporter.com. They did a really nice yes. piece, two pieces on it. And they uh, 
it's it's up to 800 at bats now where he's basically just the power numbers have just disappeared that, so uh, well i mean it's kind of hard when you're choking up halfway on the bat and look like felix Mion. <laughs> okay the Bengals held their first ota on monday and the biggest storyline was on the offensive line where rookie jonah williams took reps with the first team at left tackle as veteran cordy glenn slid to left guard billy price was at center john miller at right guard and bobby hart at right tackle Skinny, are you surprised by that lineup? No, it's the one I thought they would they were going to run out there. Um, you know, Jonah Williams. I know there had been conversation of maybe he goes and plays right tackle for Bobby. Hart. I, I got to clear this up for everybody. They like Bobby Hart. You so, don't have to like him. I, 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 how long have I been telling you that they like Bobby Hart? You've been saying it a while, but are that. you sure that Bobby Hart doesn't have damaging information on Zach Taylor already that he's using as blackmail? Well, but then did he have that same same information on Marvin Lewis? Oh, I think very clearly he uh, had something. Okay, so or maybe see. Marvin Lewis just wasn't good at his job. There's maybe. that option as well. Uh, right? Or, they like Bobby Hart. They like him. I'm just telling you that right now. That's so, very clear. So no, I don't. I so, don't think there's any denying that at this right, point. So knowing that going in, they like Bobby Hart, and they signed John Miller from Buffalo to play right guard, and obviously Billy Price is your center. It was a matter of what are you doing on the left side of the line. When Clint Bowling, Clint Bowling just doesn't look right physically. A and and B, I think they were ready to move on from Clint Bowling. All right. So then your choice is: do you move Jonah Williams to guard? And leave Cordy at left tackle, or do you take the guy that you drafted at left tackle and move Cordy Glenn, who played guard? It's been a while; it's been a decade since he played it in college, but he played it in college. Do you move Cordy Glenn inside to guard? Cordy Glenn. It's funny if you look last year from Pro Football Focus. It's not the be all end all, but again, they kind of back up what your eyes see. Cordy Glenn wasn't a whole lot better than Bobby Hart, believe it or not. All right, so if if you want to look at that in that regard, then you kick Cordy inside and you put Jonah Williams from day one. You drafted him to be your cornerstone left tackle for the next. 10 years, hopefully. Let's do this from day one. Now, if he gets in there in the preseason and, and sinks, then you have to shuffle, I think, at that point. But no, I, I was asked by somebody on the Bengals the media relations staff a couple weeks ago, well, how do you think it's going to shake out? And I said, exactly the way it, it did. It, it just, it, it had been that way. In fact, we talked to a couple of reporters and I talked to, to Corey and Clint Bowling right after the draft because the writing was kind of on the wall of, here's a left tackle. Corey, they're talking about moving you to guard. Talk to Clint, and he understands it. this is the way the business goes. So, no, I, 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 this doesn't surprise me. Um, I think this is the way they'd like it to line up um, on week one in Seattle if, if things go well in the preseason. I think it should be expected, but it also has to feel pretty good if you're a Bengals fan that this is how they feel about Jonah Williams. Correct. He's not a guy that, We're gonna well, he, he was a little undersized and we need to move him, or, well, we really like his versatility, that he can play multiple spots. They were like, no. He is the most dominant left tackle that we have, period, Correct. and that's why we're drafting Correct. him, and we're going to make everyone else move for him because Correct. he's that good. Because, it really excited that everyone else. It's one guy. It's Cordy Glenn moving from tackle to guard. Well, right, but my point is it's very clear that they felt he would have moved anyone on their offensive line, I think. I think yes. anyone would have been yes. moved out of his position because they feel he's as good as anyone they have. A left tackle is supposedly your most important position Correct. on the offensive line, and they're saying we're taking the veteran that we already have who's proven he can do this, maybe not at a, at a all-league level, level right. anymore. But, but, but is a very capable at this level. We're moving him because Jonah Williams is just flat out better. Because yes. I don't think you move the veteran if that's not how you feel going into this. No, thing. agreed. And, and Cordy's kind of swallowed hard. I don't think he likes this. He said, I'm not tripping. I'm not tripping. That was my favorite. I like that I'm, not, I'm not tripping. Uh, um, Which means, by the way, he's, he's tripping. tripping. He's, yeah. he's tripping. But I, I will say this. He is a pro. You can tell he's taking it like a pro of, look, I want everybody to be clear. I don't want to do this, but I will do this. Yeah, he had a man-to-man conversation with, with Jim, Jim Turner, Turner, and he basically said, okay. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I think it was more of a one-sided conversation yeah. of, we're going to move you to guard. You better accept it or else. Yeah, the, the other option was, or you're cut, fatty. Yeah, but it's possible, too. I, I, 
I, I know for a lot of people, the, the simple move would be flip Cordy to the right side and let him play right tackle. And maybe that's what happened. Maybe they Bobby just love Bobby Hart. I didn't say they love him. They, they do, do like They, like they Bobby love Hart. him. I, they do like Bobby Hart quite a lot. I would tell you that right here and right now. They like him a lot. I don't even know if Bobby Hart is the worst offensive lineman in the history of the game. All I know is if I'm lining up against him, I've seen his YouTube mixtape of him getting blown up enough times to know that I'm having one hell of a Sunday. Well, let me just tell you, I, I do think this, and I think some of what they want to do will mask Bobby Hart to some degree. They, they, they do want to, I think part of it, you're going to see Drew Sample lined up on that left side a bunch with, with Cordy Glenn and Jonah Williams and Drew Sample, and they are going to run the football left a whole lot and they're going to play action and bootleg away from it, which is going to cause an end to suck in. And all Bobby needs to do is just get in front. Of I'm serious. I, I think they'll be able to mask some of the stuff Bobby Hart does. I think they want to do a lot of stuff off of play action. And it's going to be predicated on can you run the football? Well, guess what? We're putting three road graders on the left side. Here we come. Here we come. Have you ever gone to YouTube and just typed in Bobby Hart blown up? I have a okay. It's a, B, it's a nice black hole to get into. B, I'm, not, I'm sure you've seen it. I, I only have a one photo of Bobby Hart that I occasionally use on on our website at local12.com, and it's a picture of him holding somebody in practice. It's pretty it's pretty it's pretty clear even in practice that he that he struggles a little bit with that. Uh, that's a highlight for him Correct. though if he's actually Correct. holding on. That's, Again, folks, I know you don't have to like it. You don't have to. I'm just they like him. You don't have to. I don't have to. They like him. I don't. I know. That's that's okay. a fact. I don't. The Bengals are hoping to get a lift from the return of two key players who had their 2018 seasons cut short by injuries. Tight end Tyler Eifert and defensive end Carl Lawson both said on Tuesday that they are progressing as well as, and if not better, than they hoped. Eifert suffered a broken right ankle in the fourth game of last season at Atlanta and didn't return, while Lawson suffered a torn ACL in his right knee on the first snap he played in the eighth game of last season against Tampa Bay and didn't return. What's a realistic expectation for Tyler Eifert and Carl Lawson's role on this team in 2019? I, Tyler Eifert's is exactly what they did last year before he got hurt. They used him as as kind of just a receiver, and I know in a red zone option, in a, in a right? great red zone. Don't option. throw Correct. between him in the forty or right. in the twenties. I mean, right? I think you put him on the field on third and eight. Right? You need to have a pass catching tight end on third and eight. He's your best option for that. But I think you limit his snaps to less than fifty percent. Maybe even less than 40%. Maybe even you have a smaller package. I know they do, they do want to do some two tight end stuff, and I think Drew Sample is a big part of that as the run-blocking tight end. And then, you know, C.J. Uzama, maybe he's your first and second down guy, and he's a capable pass catcher. But when it's third and eight, and it's an obvious passing down, I want four, three or four, three receivers, four receivers, and Tyler Eifert's one of those three or four. He's, he's on the field. He's the guy. Drew Sample's probably off at that point. C.J.'s off. One running back, three wide receivers. Tyler Eifert, let's go. Red zone, Tyler Eifert, let's go. And I, I think it was working last year. It was actually working pretty well last year. I mean, you go back to that, that game against Baltimore. Remember A.J. Green, three first-half touchdowns? You know why he had three first-half touchdowns? Because I Because people were focused. The Baltimore Ravens were focusing on Tyler Eifert in the red zone. And A.J. Green, they said, I will right, cover him man-to-man. Nah, you're not going to do it. Good luck to you. So I, I think that's the role. The question is, it took us five games into last year, and out he goes again. And Look, I, I don't use the, You know me. I don't use the term fragile with these guys. I don't use the term that guy's soft. It's none of that. He's had some freaky, weird injuries to various and sundry. I mean, you literally could do an operation game. Remember? Yeah, you don't. You're too young. Oh, remember I remember operation. operation. Okay. Yeah, the you red could do a Tyler. Turns, you could the nose turns red. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Buzzes you. Yeah. Um, you could do a Tyler Eifert operation game. 
I mean, you honestly could. Think of all the body parts that he has either broken, injured, strained, or sprained. Yeah, and and it's not he's soft or he, it's, it's, it's just it's anything it's he's done. But there, but it's not. There is certain guys we've seen it correct time after time. There who, guys who are injury prone. Yeah, they're just injury prone. It is what it is, and it, it stinks for him because he's such a talented player yes. when he's not hurt. He says he feels really good. That's the interesting thing is that it doesn't seem to this point of his career that any of those injuries have really taken away his ability to perform. Right. Like he's when he's he seemed to always right. return to a yes. high level of play. Um this injury, it's a broken ankle, which it's it's not a lot of easy people to come back from, but he's had a ton of time to recover from yeah, it. Yeah, and, I mean, and let's face it, this is I, there's nothing simple about a simple break, but a broken, a simple broken ankle. People have recovered from them for years. You, you usually get back to 100 percent from that type of thing Correct. if you have given enough time. Correct. So, but that the I mean that was horrific to watch. Oh, it was awful. It really but, was. But again, he's back in a situation where, like you said, he seems like he looks good. He says he feels good. You, you're wondering if he can't pretty much be the same guy he's been in terms of a receiving yes, threat. Just but you got to. Got to see if he stays healthy. Limited snaps. Carl Lawson, I think the jury's out. I I, I talked to both these guys because that was the story you were referring to from last Tuesday. C- Carl physically is still an imposing guy. And he talked about how he wants to even be a better athlete. But if you look, he had eight and a half sacks as a rookie, which led all NFL rookies. He had one in seven games he played last year. And if you even take that out further, he had literally two in the last 12 games he played dating back to his rookie year. And it makes me wonder, all right, did teams figure him out? Did they say, hey, look, the guy's a speed rusher. He just tries. You've seen him. He gets, tries to get low and around. Yep. Look, if, you, if that's the only move you got, they're going to just take you and push you behind the quarterback. And it's going to take you a while to catch back up. So I wonder, does he have to create some other moves? And and maybe he, he does and will. I, he wants to be an every down end. I just don't think he's ever going to be big enough to be an every down end. I'd like to see him get back to that pass rush specialist guy, and hopefully, you know, he get, he creates some more moves because I think he's he's got he's got a lot of athleticism, he's got a lot of motor. He he said he thought he was more productive last year. I I, I didn't. That's I'm going to take him at his word that he felt like look, I I created pressures, I just didn't get there. Okay, maybe. Well, I thought you wreaked a lot of havoc, dude, as a, as a rookie. I thought you killed people as a rookie. Yeah, I don't think there's any question that teams figured him out to a certain extent. It's exactly what you said. He's a kind of a one trick pony at this point of his career. He had the speed rush and teams figured out, okay, let him run behind the quarterback for the most part. And as long as the quarterback doesn't screw it up by getting out of pocket, you're pretty much going to be able to step up and avoid him. Um, the interesting thing that he told you, though, was that he felt he was attracting more attention. And And that's probably that's true. And that is something that matters. But I also think like adding to your game is something that all professionals do. Right. The fact that and he wants to do that. Don't, don't guy, he's not a guy that's saying, hey, I'm going to do it. My way worked. He right. does want to get he better. He didn't sound like a stubborn guy in yeah. how he talks about this stuff. And I'll say the guys who are able to add something else to their game and be successful are the guys who have that elite fastball, so to speak, right. for, to use a bad metaphor, to begin with. He had that yes. elite move, that, yes. that speed rush off the edge. It scared was the crap out of tackles. That first year when he first hit the league. So he's a guy with a ton of upside, in my opinion. I agree. I'm excited about his return. Now, the problem is, again, how much does the injury uh, affect him? Does that yeah. slow him down or his progress at yeah, all? Yeah, I don't think do it does. Do you get any sense No, because he's, he's dealt with a knee. He, he came back from an ACL tear in college, so he's dealt with this before. Um, he knows the steps it takes. He knows when he feels 100%. He even talked about, look, I'll, I want to be back by training camp, but I want to be back when I'm 100%. So I think he'll know He'll know when he's 100%. But you just worry when it is a guy who relies on his athleticism oh, no doubt. so much for it to no be doubt. a knee again. But you man, know, he so. is a specimen. He is. He is a freaking specimen, man. and that's and that's what I like about him. So I'm I'm really intrigued. I'm probably more excited to see him come I, back than I am Tyler Eifert really? this year, just because 
we know what Tyler is, and at this point, I think you just hold your breath on him. Yeah, you just got to. Yeah. The thing is, you know he's productive. You just don't know how long the productivity is going to last because well, of injury. Well, and even when he's being productive, you have to limit him to a certain extent, right. just because you're so worried about right. him. Whereas Carl Lawson is just all upside at this point. Correct. And he's still really an unknown. Yep, agreed. The Cincinnati Bearcats landed their second commitment of the John Brandon era as Northern Kentucky center Chris Vogt decided to transfer from the Norse to play for his old head coach and the Bearcats. Vogt should sit out the 2019-20 season and then we'll have two years of eligibility left. Skinny, what are the Bearcats getting in the seven-foot NKU transfer Chris Vogt and how will his game translate to the AAC? I'm going to flip it to you because you saw him more than I did. What do you think? Um, I think it's going to be really interesting because... His biggest thing was it took him a lot of time to get up to the speed of Horizon League basketball. But he had some really good moments this past season after had he struggled some, as a freshman. Had some great moments yeah. as a sophomore. I was really, really excited about where he got to. But it was all that he, he had to think a lot to get to that point where he was able to catch the speed of where everyone else was moving at. And there was a lot of things that went into that in terms of his development. Now, I think him staying with the staff that got him to that point is understandable. I think there's a lot of familiarity, and they did a really good job. Tim Morris, who is one of the assistants now at UC, was was the big man coach at NKU and, and did a great job with him. So I think that makes a lot of sense. But at the same time, he was just getting to the point that he was getting up to speed in the Horizon League and it was a big jump for him. He wasn't he wasn't that level of player when he got to the Horizon League. Well, he finally figured out at the end of the soft, his sophomore year it looked like okay, as a junior he's going to be a guy that can produce, not at an all-conference level no, probably. But he was probably a 10 and 8 guy at the Horizon League level, right? But he's a starter and a guy, yeah, that could be a double-double threat on a daily yeah. on the daily, I think. And then on NKU's team that they had returning, he was probably going to be a third or fourth option. So yeah, yeah. his stats probably would have even been held back a little bit in that regard. Now, now how did they use him? Because obviously Drew McDonald was more of a of a, of a five-out center, although he could post. But he was kind yeah. of a trail center, for lack of a better term. Chris Vogt, that's, that's not really a skill set. No, but what they did a great job of with him is, one, letting him rim run. Because they want to yeah. get out and, and run. Now, they don't play super fast necessarily, but they like to get out and transition and use him as a rim runner. And what they do with that is do quick ducking. So when he's running, he's going to duck in on that rim quickly and they're going to look for him and actually try to get him the ball. Um, But in half-court situations, though. In half-court situations, I thought they did a really good job of running sets to get him in positions to score, to where it's not you're not just throwing to him in the post and playing through him like um, he's an an all-league center. Right. But when he's on the floor for the the few minutes that he is before you're getting back off and putting McDonald and going back with a small ball lineup, they were getting him opportunities with set plays and getting him in position to score. Now, he had elite size, though, for that league. I mean, he's 7'1". Right. Not physicality, but he had he had elite size. And while even in the AAC, outside the Taco Falls now gone, you're, you're not, you don't have any seven footers, but you have six nine, two hundred and sixty pound dudes, or six ten, two hundred and seventy pound dudes that can out physically you. That's the thing that worries me. The good part is, I think this year for him, honestly. You obviously want to develop skill. I'd I'd get him twenty five pounds. I'd figure out a way to pump him up twenty five more pounds to be able to compete physically in that league. That's the thing that worries me. Yeah, and, and I think the athleticism to me because at the Horizon League, his athleticism was a bonus. It was something that he had over most of the other right. big men. He was more athletic than a lot of those guys. You saw it when NKU would go and play the high major type teams. UC is a perfect example yeah. when they went to UC last year. He struggled against a guy like Nazir Brooks, who isn't. A top big man in the AAC, no, but, but a starting is, big man. But he's yeah. as athletic right. or more right. athletic than a guy like Chris Vogt. So that, those are the matchups that I'm going to be interested to see. How does he deal with those? And more importantly, does it take him 
another year or two to make that jump again. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, but again, that one year off for him, I think it might. I really think in this help. case, it, I think it'll, it'll help a ton. I think he needs it. You're practicing against that level of player. You're seeing that level of competition night in and night out. Um, again, the year just to physically get better, and maybe maybe you see a guy too. And everybody always looks at the big guys in high school and they're like, why can't that guy score twenty five points a game? He's six ten. He's six nine. He's seven one. It's not that easy. It's just, it's just it's just hard. And sometimes for big guys. The, the development process is just longer. And and so, you know, that jump you saw from freshman to sophomore year, maybe that's just physically he's figuring out his body. And now he's got a year to do that again without losing a year of eligibility and then come back another year and still have two years to play. So I, I, the thing is, I don't think there's a downside to him coming to UC. No. I don't. Well, that's the other thing I would add. When you look at where UC was at, I think he's an upgrade from Elial Sasemi. Right. So right. in that regard, you, you lost the semi. You added vote for with you know right. he's going to sit out for a year and then play two more. I think that was an upgrade. I, w- I would have taken that trade all day long. Now how how will he do at UC? How will he do in the AAC? I don't think he's going to be a guy that you know changes your program by any stretch of the imagination. But I think he's going to be a serviceable player that too. can give you some minutes at the very minimum, and maybe he'll be a a ten and six guy in the AAC. Yeah, and that would be just great. like he would have been at NKU. Exactly, that would be great. Yeah. So. All right, Skinny, let's transition in the NBA. The Golden State Warriors swept the Portland Trailblazers in the Western Conference Finals to advance the NBA Finals for a fifth straight year. The Warriors' sweep came without Kevin Durant, who has been sidelined with a calf injury for the past five Ball games. Ball The Warriors are 33-4 and four since the 2016-17 season when Curry plays and Durant doesn't. Ball stopper. Let me ask you this. Should the Warriors legitimately consider holding Kevin Durant out to start the NBA Finals? And do you think this impacts Durant's impending free agency decision this offseason? That's, that's the best question of all. I, I think it does, I right? Think it does I think too. it does a lot. That if they win this without him, I don't think it's them thumbing their nose at him, right? But I think it's also, we, we can still do this. We we. We we can still do it, you know. You're you're a nice part to have without question because there there are some unicorn qualities. You're the to best you. scorer in the world. In the, in the world, yeah. you're a seven footer with twenty eight foot range. But we we can do this without you, and that maybe hurts his feelings, right? And he says, you know what? I will go start a, start my own legacy in New York or Los Angeles, wherever wherever he may land. Um, so yeah, I, I it, it is interesting that they didn't look like they missed a beat, and that's goofy to me. And I'm kidding when I say ball stopper. You know I'm kidding. No, right? I know but you it, are. But, but the it, thing there's some is, truth to that, there though, is right? Truth to it, and it's undeniable at this point, especially when you see the way they sort of flip the switch. The question is, how much is it just naturally? You kind of when you play through Kevin Durant, you play through a guy who's so dominant like he is. How much of it is just guys have the tendency to watch the ball more sure. and not move as much, and they forget like to be as active and, and hustle and play as hard and play with as much energy as they used to back when they were playing right. with more flow and everything. And how much is it like he you know actually ran helps you in my opinion, in that regard, he helps you in the big 82 as opposed to maybe short series as goofy as that sounds that look in short series, I can give it my all because I'm going to have a night off or the next night off or whatever, as opposed to in the grind of, of the complete season. I'd like to take a few possessions off. I'd like to stand in the corner and let somebody else do it for a while. I'd well, like to kind of take my breath and let him go go get a bucket. Well, that's a good point because before he got there, they were only able to win seventy three games during the oh, I know. season. I know, no, I know. I mean, I know, but <laughs> no, I, mean, I know, I know. But your point, your point is a legitimate one. I think in a in a one game series, but then you also go back to like, I think he does almost make them unbeatable in a seven game series. 
Right. Yes, like, because because if one option's taken away, there's four others. If two options are taken away, there's three others, and and it's just like you're gonna you might and be he's able gonna to, get a bucket when you need him to get a bucket, right? Right. You might be able to trip them up for a game or two, or maybe they're not operating at their optimum capacity. Even if they're see the weird thing about this whole deal is that you have his free agency coming up, right? And throughout this year, there have been these little signs that there is a little fracture in the locker room. Correct. Clay Thompson is also going to be a free agent. Draymond Green has had those spats with KD specifically. So there's that sort of psychological yeah. aspect of this that makes you wonder, like all these guys are all of a sudden making it a point to say, well, we're playing, we're having fun now out yeah. there. We're playing together more. So they are making these little comments. And then all of a sudden, Kevin Durant shows up on Twitter, clapping back at all these fans and Bleacher Report who are, who are making these comments about, are the Warriors better without Kevin Durant? He is clearly bothered by this stuff. And we've seen he is clearly an emotional guy no and a sensitive guy in no the doubt. past. The NBA, I don't know how Adam Silver does it, how he gets his players to be so vulnerable and so out there and open on social media. They've encouraged us to the point that the players are an open book, and you want to look at when they tweet something or say something on Instagram or whatever and say, oh, it means nothing. You have no idea what they're talking about. The problem is... A lot of times it tells us exactly how they're yes. thinking and it tells yes. us exactly how things are about to play out. So now that you see sort of Kevin getting upset and clapping back at random fans and Bleacher Report on Twitter, you start to think, you know what? This does bother him that everyone knows this is Steph's team and it's always going to be Steph's team. And I do. I think this is, I don't know that he was ever going to return to the Warriors because most people seem to think it's a done deal to the Knicks yeah. or somewhere yeah. else anyway. But I don't think there's any chance he would consider it after the way the last two weeks I, of this have played I, out. I would agree with you. I, I, I would agree with you in, in that regard. And I think this also says something about Steph Curry, too, to me, right? That when he had Kevin Durant, he was still was probably the guy, but he realized, I'm going to let him be the guy when I need him to be. But now that he's not there, dudes, I'm the guy. I'm the guy. I've always been the guy. I was able to take enough of a back seat to let him be enough of the guy to make this work. But you can see who the guy I mean, he is just obscene. Isn't that incredible? Obscene. I mean, as great as Allen Iverson was for his size, Steph Curry is two Allen Iversons. And I mean that sincerely. I mean, just the fa- how consistent he is as a shooter, we've never seen any. I mean, there, but he ability, is the best shooter ever in the I, game. The, his ability to create is so underestimated. It is. It's oh, it is. It's absurd how he can create for he himself is, and others. He is really good off the bounce. That part of his game doesn't get brought up enough, but it's all predicated off how consistent let, he is as a shooter. Let me ask you something. If I'd have said... I'll take a roster of DeMarcus Cousins, Andre Iguodala, Kevin Durant, and two guys. I think I can win a lot of games with that. You're missing three of those guys, and you're steering the NBA final and just swept the West. It's it's a joke. Now, that goes back to how absurdly overloaded this team was, and everyone's been saying that for the last three years as they've right. been building in the process, and it bothers a lot of people, but it, it, it is fascinating. to This is the most interesting way the NBA season could have finished off. Honestly, I mean, it was, you know, the Warriors were probably going to win this thing no matter what, but for Durant to go, you right. hate to see a guy get hurt, yeah, but no, for no. him to go down and now create all these storylines here heading into his summer of free agency has really made this thing interesting. So let me finish off by yes. asking you this last question. Okay. Do you consider just sitting that sitting him until you lose a game in the, in the NBA finals? I, I don't know if it's even... I, I think it's a matter of he's healthy, he plays, and I don't think he's healthy enough to play. I think that's what it comes down to. It sounds like more and but more. We have no information on this injury. It's just this ambiguous calf strain, and he's been out for three weeks during the playoffs now. Well, like, the funny, that's the, hard to believe, the, man. The funny part, though, was initially, I think he might miss a game, right? it was That was the initial. He might miss might. a game. And now we're on, looks like he may not play at all in this championship series. He's missed five games of playoffs. 
Yeah. I, I, That's and we, and we don't have any information on what the injury is other than a calf strain. Yeah. Yeah, I, that, I, I, that is at some point you got a question like, are they just going to wait until they lose a game to bring him back just because they don't want to mess with the chemistry? And I don't think that's a ridiculous I, thing to do. Uh, I don't think you do that. I, I don't. The way you're playing right now, I don't think it's a ridiculous thing to do. I don't. Uh, Milwaukee's got a lot more parts. That's all I can tell you. Uh, I agree, but it's it, it. I think it's gotten to the point that you you, you don't think they've had this conversation oh, in the front office. I think no they've question. had it. No, I think they've they've asked that question. But I don't I I don't think you sit him if he's not if if he's healthy. I just don't see. I think if he's healthy, he plays. I You're agree. But you don't. But do you encourage him to? Uh, hey, man, we don't want to mess with your free agency. Uh, you're about to sign a well, big deal. Maybe he's making a business decision there too. Oh, I'm sure right? he is. Right? Of, yeah. I'm not hurting this thing any worse. I mean, I'm gone after this year anyway, guys. Good luck. Hope you win it. <laughs> it is can't win it without me. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe you can. <laughs> this has been a really fun way to end the NBA season, no even though it happened via an injury. Yeah. Skinny, despite having just a 6% chance, the New Orleans Pelicans won the NBA draft lottery and the right to draft Zion Williamson last week. This has created an interesting storyline with franchise player Anthony Davis, who demanded out of New Orleans last season and has been linked to trade rumors with the Knicks, Lakers, Celtics, Clippers, and the Nets. Davis is still under contract for one more year, so the Pelicans don't have to trade him this offseason if they don't want to. Which team would you want to play for if you were Anthony Davis now that the Pelicans have the number one pick? And what should the Pelicans do with him? I think I I think I keep him. I do. I think I could build something with with him and Zion. But if he's already demanded out and you only have him for this year, do you feel like you have to trade him? I mean, you have three options here, right? You either trade him now for whatever the best package is. You keep him going into this year with the idea that we'll try to talk him into it and see if he likes it, and then we'll trade him closer to the trade deadline. I don't know what their cap space level is, if they could sign somebody, another piece. So what they need to do is sign a point guard, right? Correct. Like, they, you've got Drew Holiday, who's a an underrated player on the wing. I can really trade score. Right? I mean, I think I think they're in a position where they could maybe even add like a Kemba Walker, who's okay. going to be the best point guard okay. on the market. Now, I don't know if he wants to go to the Pelicans, but if you have a Zion, a Drew Holiday, and an Anthony Davis, I mean, you're not beating the Warriors, but can you do what the Blazers just did? That's what I'm asking. I was about to say that. I don't think no matter what you do, you're beating the Warriors till they're disbanded in some way, shape, or form. Right, but can you make the Western can Conference Can you be finals? the second best team in the West? I think you can. I, I think you're in the conversation. I don't know if you're... And that's where if you're Anthony Davis, LA. do you want that or do you want to say, I'm going to the East where it's easier? I, I'd, I'd, I'd like to get facilitated somewhere there. Yeah, or do is it... I mean, let's face it. New Orleans is... I mean, outside of maybe Memphis, it's probably the second worst NBA city no in question. terms of yeah, right. their relevancy. Do you just want out because you don't believe in what you know, New Orleans is going to do as a franchise going forward with Zion. I think it has to change things to a certain extent. I mean, would it for you, if you're a veteran like Anthony Davis, yeah, do I mean, you think Zion's a, enough to change a, your mind? It's a legit piece. And uh, normally I don't think veterans look at rookies as, as legit I mean, pieces, like right. LeBron right. James clearly has right. throughout his career. He's right. wanted nothing to do with any right. draft picks, but Zion, I think he's a once in a generational guy. I think he is different. I don't think you look at him as a normal rookie. I think you look at him as potentially a, a KD, a LeBron type guy. He's he's the Batman to the Robin. I would mean, you or, be, or vice versa? Would you, you be Batman? willing to do that if you're Anthony Davis? If I'm Anthony Davis, the answer is yes. Because the other part too is, 
I don't think Zion has to be ball dominant, right? That he's not going to take away from my stuff. He's not going to take away from what I do. He's going to add to what I do. No, I mean, he's. I think he's almost the perfect I big agree. to play along That's with my Anthony point. Davis. And that he's also capable of focus on Anthony Davis. He's the guy that kills you. Um, get another piece like a Kemba Walker. Now I got two pieces. That can, now you got the, I, if you got the three legit pieces, you can do a lot of things with that. Think about if you have Kemba Walker and Zion Williamson running pick and roll with Anthony Davis as a shooter option right, right. as you're big stretching the floor. Right. I mean, it's insane. I mean, you've got... Think about that group in transition. And plus, Drew Holiday is still your scorer on the wing, who I think yeah. he's really good. No, think I about, like But Drew think about that group in transition. Yeah, and I think that's why those two are kind of your ideal front court in today's NBA. Yeah, I no, love I, the combination of Zion and Anthony Davis. I even think people criticize Zion for his shooting... I, I like that part of his game. I think he'll be fine. We've talked about it. I think he'll be fine. It's just an awkward-looking shot, right? That you're like, it's a set shot. Plenty of guys shoot a set shot in the NBA from three-point range. I don't like it, but as long as you're making it enough, I'm good with it. He shot a fine Correct. percentage it's just this a, year. It just looks weird. you got to agree. Yeah. It looks weird. And I think that, it's going to get better. I do, too. I, I think he's a kid who works hard at it, and yeah. I, I don't think his skill set is bad. I I really like that look of those two. Now, I don't think that's what's going to happen. I think Anthony Davis is probably going to look well, elsewhere. Well, the other part, too, if you're New Orleans is, if you don't think you can make it work, A, and you're looking and going, it doesn't matter. Even if we keep Anthony and a disgruntled Anthony, the best we're going to do is be the second best team in the in the West. At the very best, that's the best we're going to do. As opposed to, let's look at this three, four, five years down the road of, all right, eventually, these guys at Golden State are going to get old enough to where their time is going to peak and end. Um, and it may be coming sooner rather than later. Let's look at that process. So that's a, that's what I think they have to look at. Of are we satisfied with being the second best team in the West, and will that make him happy enough to stick around longer term, or is this just never going to work? And we're looking three to five years down the road, and Zion's the first piece of that. And because you're probably doing that anyways, I think my strategy would be keep him for now into the season and try to talk him into it. See how things go. Yeah, start maybe the get off to a great start. So. Right? Maybe yeah. things are really, really, really good. And maybe it's not, and maybe he's awful, and you have to ship him out, you know, by the trade deadline or or even before that. That's fine. I still think you have enough. If you did that, I still think you would have would be able to get something from people. Yeah, and I think it might come. You know, it'd be sort of an exciting piece to to keep that season going, right. even if you're not winning a right. lot of games. So, I think that's the play. I don't. I don't think you trade him yet. I think you got to at least see what what Zion means to him. At least see what you can bring. But but you're you're going to have to bring in a point guard. They need a point yeah, guard to go with Agreed. these guys. Agreed. And they don't have that right now. So it's it's the, the whole. I mean, it, for the NBA is probably devastated by the fact that Zion is going to see, New Orleans. Everybody says that. I don't. I, I think you bring another market into relevancy. I think I you do. do, I do but I'd love to see, I, I do. I would say this. I'd love to see the Knicks be relevant because basketball in New York, when it's relevant, is really good. Do you it's think really it, fun? Do you think it still is, or do you think it was that way because it was like the 1980s, the last time it was relevant? Yeah, and, the 90s. They were irrelevant in the 90s. Okay, but, it, it, but still, was it, the world just different then? And will like will New Yorkers still care about basketball? Will the city still oh, buzz no the question. way it did back yeah, then? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, they've unfortunately you've got an owner that's given them no reason for that for two decades plus. No question. And, and so, but the world has changed a lot in terms of just people has, have but changed their interest and scattered uh, it a little I bit still, more. I, I think. think New Yorkers would love they they would love to love the Knicks again. I really do. I think they'd love to love the Knicks again. Anthony Davis, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, <laughs> Kevin Durant. <laughs> oh man, that's a lot of ball stoppers there now. Ugh. That's a lot of ball stoppers. It. 
it's just going to be an interesting offseason in the NBA. I mean, you've got so many giant pieces to move around on the table. And then after that, you've still got a bunch of like really good players that are right. going to be on the move right. too. So right. you've got three or four cornerstone type pieces when you factor in Kawhi Leonard is still going to be yep. a free agent. And man, it's I'm looking forward to this offseason in the NBA. So is Adam Silver because it keeps him buzzing. <laughs> no question about that. That's it. Uh, we have got... Another book, book review. All right, I got to tell you this story. Last week, you 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 did the book review, and what was it? The al- the al- alchemy of of uh, yeah, something, yeah, spirits and something or other. God is my witness. I get in the car. I had a radio talk radio station on. The first words that I heard were alchemy. Now that's a lot weird, man. That's a lot weird. I I don't I really don't know what to say because. And it was like the alchemy of something that had to do with politics, too. So it was the just only the word t- alchemy came out of that after we had discussed that on here. I never see that word come up unless it's ghost sex books or the alchemist. Occasionally, I like to use big words just for fun. Alchemy is not one of them. I, it's one of the ones that's probably the least used word I've ever used. But there it was. I, God is my witness. One of the It, it was, might have even been the first word I heard when I turned my car on. Now, that's bizarre. That is weird. I'm not going to say. Makes but me a true believer. I'm saying ghosts all right um now what do you got violated by the ghost ghost sex book one by cj edwards is our choice for today this you know last week we gave you the elite pricing those for our elite yeah, ghost sexers 220 bucks or yeah. whatever Ooh. yeah this week we're going a little bit cheaper. 99 cent paperback you can get this on kindle for 99 cents violated by the ghost ghost sex book one by cj edwards and cj uh, male or female um i'm going to assume male uh, I didn't actually do that much research, research on okay. it. Um, I, I also didn't read this book, but it has 4.6 out of 5 stars, oh, so wow. it's a really highly rated book ra- on ratings? Amazon. Um, and this review here was written by Purple Jewels, who uh, read this book on May 2nd. I know Purple Jewels. I, I think I saw her dancing once. I did too. Uh, and it we went got- to North Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> Purple Jewels got this on the Kindle, and the review goes as this. This tale of a ghost on a this is a tale of a ghost on a one night sexual rampage is a titillating little quick that will get you motor running in short order. The focus is the graphic sex, so there's no romance, foreplay, or character development. Just get right into it. The action is fast paced, and it won't win any literary prizes. Nor will this review, for the record. It's a struggle to read. It sounds like it. But if you're reading erotica, that probably not the primary goal anyway. So who care? Who care? However, there's one thing that keeps me from recommending that you purchase this story, and that's the price. Frankly, as entertaining as it was, I think that it's overpriced for only 19 pages. Moreover, there are numerous scintillating stories available in this genre that are not only longer, but many have quite a bit of character development, interesting plots, as well as sizzling hot sex scenes. Your call! Well, here's what I would say to that review. Let me just say this. It was 99 cents first. A, it was 99 cents. B, if you're reading it for the reason that Purple Jewels says that Purple Jewels was reading it, it shouldn't take you 19 pages, dog. It just shouldn't. I, I don't think I it did. <laughs> Purple Jewels wanted more character development in her <laughs> ghost erotica. Did she now? Yeah. See, that's I, I don't I don't I don't need that out of mind. I'm just I'm just going to be up front. I'm just going to say that the reviews for the alchemy of spirits and See, there ghosts. Again. I'm going to hear it again. Was slightly better. More it, it had me more interested. Well, it personally. had me more interested because people were genuinely scared. It sounded like yeah, like, and one person works. was hurt after yeah, doing it. Yeah, I, I that did not sound. Great. I don't want any part of that. Yeah, but um, again, ninety nine cents. Ninety nine cents on Kindle. On, on Kindle, um, and that is Violated by the Ghost, C.J. Edwards, Ghost Sex Book 1. All right. 
So apparently there's a two. There's a two somewhere. Uh, part two might be next week. We'll see, we'll see how that goes. All right. As always, enjoyed it. We'll be back a week from now to talk uh, local sports, national sports, and a ghost story or two. For Rick Broering, I'm Richard Skinner. It's the Skinny Podcast, the Popery Edition, presented by Joseph Infinity of Cincinnati.